0: welcome to all of you, especially if you're a guest here. Um, we agree that it's just not by accident, but it's by God's design. So thank you for being here and choosing to be a part of um, our time together. Listen, I, 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 this is good news because we're coming to the end of our First Peter series this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to turn all the way to the end of uh, First Peter, if you have a copy of your Bibles this morning, to First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to round this out with some highlights from chapters 4 and 5. And today we come to the end of this study or series together in 1 Peter. This is a tender shepherd, a pastor, writing compassionately and boldly to his congregation, his flock. Uh, They are scattered and they are struggling because of persecution as a result of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Sadly, I'm not certain that such a letter would necessarily connect in all these terms in today's Christian culture. But in so many ways, this last section of of Peter's letter to these believers comes to us as a strong antidote to what we experience To this kind of sin-soaked, kind of soft-edged, self-focused faith of the American Christian experience. For Christians, many believers today, it's it's still all about me. (laughs) Kind of my kids and my life, my morning, my thoughts, my past, my space, my face... Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, everything instant about our culture. Everybody and every random thought or post kind of carrying equal merit. And there's little deep anymore. Little that is compelling about this kind of what I call Facebook faith of our day. Somehow the premium transferred from deep to shallow. From the virtue of waiting on the Lord to instant responses and expressions. From discretion and deep reflection about the things of God in our lives to kind of this out with everything and impulsive randomness of this social media age and culture in which we live. Well it comes as no surprise to God and it came as no surprise by the way to these apostles if you'll hold a finger or a pencil or something in 1st Peter chapter 4 cuz we'll get there and I want you to turn to another passage it's also ancient it's from another writer it's from another apostle the apostle Paul and it's from his second letter to Timothy 2nd Timothy chapter 3 so just go to the left a few pages from 1st Peter And you'll find 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's amazing, as ancient as these writings are, how compellingly relevant they strike today. But these are the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy about this very culture, I think, in which we live. He says, you should know this. This is the beginning of chapter 3, 2 Timothy. Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. One translation says they will be lovers of themselves. Does that sound familiar? They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. That's the part about little discretion. Everything is out there. Nothing is sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. That that, that is this pattern of just showing grudges and holding bitternesses and injuries. Um, They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. How about that? Wow. If that is not a stirring indictment of our age, I do not know what is. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God, having a form or a veneer of godliness but it's empty of power. A superficial Christianity. That's the context into which Peter writes in this last section of his letter. And he says, So then, so then, in light of all that, it's a transition phrase at the beginning of chapter 4. So then, believers, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. He's starting a new and a most compelling thought. Here in this whole section, really in the whole letter, but primarily here, Peter is beginning to address what I believe is a very specific level of Christian maturity. I think he's running out of time. Something I can relate to. He he needs to pack a few things in. Maybe his next Sunday was Advent too and he needed to wrap things up. Nonetheless, he's, he's speaking about no soft edges here. There is no self focused Christian in his audience to whom he writes, not here. They'd long left the comfort zone of this kind of all-about-me Christianity, these believers. They were in the flames. And he's writing to them to get them ready, listen to this, for physical suffering because of their faith. Likely even death. This, This is a different kind of Christianity. These were not Western kind of post-enlightenment, fitness-crazed, I-want-it-now, praise-seeking, comfort-adoring believers. These were the real deal. These were individuals whose lives literally were on the line and who had bet their eternity on the claims of of Christ. And Peter's readying them for the most intense trial of their lives. I call these believers, this level of mature Christian, sin-killers. Here's why. Look what he says. You be ready to suffer too, first part of verse 1, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, listen, you're finished with sin. (laughs) You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Those are sin killers. These are individuals who are sold out to Christ and they're done with sin. When you get to the point in your following of Christ that you are prepared, you are ready to actually suffer physical harm to your body for the gospel, (laughs) you've mastered sin. That's the point. You're done with this kind of petty, self-seeking culture of it's all about me, it's it's all about my life, it's all about my, my dreams, it's all about my body and my day and my thoughts and my musings, my plans, my kids, my holidays. That's all in the past. It's a remarkable vision of the deeper life, the wider, most mature faith. In Jesus Christ. That's what's in view. And that's the believers to whom Peter writes. And he turns his focused attention in this final regard. It's remarkable. This is a level of faith. That frankly escapes. Most believers today. Now, he, he gives some markings. What marks individuals like this? And in the next section, he's going he's, he's gonna to describe some things that are marks of this level of Christian maturity. And the first is that they are marked by a complete and anxious pursuit of the will of God what he says he says you you have if you have suffered physically for Christ you're done with sin you've finished with it you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires but you will rather be anxious to do the will of God how about that this is in sharp contrast of course uh, to spending the rest of your life satisfying yourself or being anxious to kind of fulfill what you desire that's compelling, isn't it? We're all on a path of spending the rest of our lives pursuing something. Regardless of the phase or stage or passage you're in, young person, kind of middle age, older person, kind of sunset years, you're, you're in pursuit of something. At this level of Christian maturity, Peter says, listen, you are sold out to Christ The only thing on your mark, your heading, is an anxious, complete, compelling desire to pursue the things of God. The will of God for your life. Now that's focus. What are you spending your life pursuing? That's the question that's between the lines. Just think about that. What do you intend to spend the rest of your life pursuing? Maybe that's an even better question. Comfort? You know, more and more just kind of established surroundings that make you feel kind of comfortable and happy and secure. That's that's a pursuit, certainly. Approval? It's kind of the accolades or esteem of individuals, whether it be family or maybe just a long Burden of just satisfying maybe a a parent's vision for your life. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe you're pursuing the perfect marriage or the perfect family experience. But you're in pursuit of something. And the question is, what is it? These people, you see, were done with all of those other things at this point where they were being ready to suffer physically for Christ. That's all in their past. They're sold out to do an anxious pursuit of the will of God. What are the things that capture your mind and your thoughts? The things you dwell on daily. Those are likely markers of what you're pursuing. Things you honestly and by default spend your time investing in. Or are you so anxious to do the will of God that you... You can't even begin to think about per- beginning a day without pursuing him. In his word, in prayer, in surrendering yourself. That, that's the first mark, a complete and anxious pursuit of the will of God. At this level of Christian maturity. But there's a second thing he says, and that's, that's in the beginning of verse 4 of 1 of Peter chapter 4. He says, of course, as a result of this... I should say verse 3, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things um, that they do. This this is also a determining marker. It's a final leaving of your sinful, immature past. It's a mark of the developed, fully developed follower of Jesus Christ. It costs you something dearly. There's a leaving of all that. A determined point at which you leave all of that sinful kind of um, messing around in the past. All of that maturity, immaturity is behind you. Uh, He gets very specific when he talks about the things that godless people enjoy. He talks about immorality. That has to do with sexual misconduct, immoral behavior that is not honoring to God. that That you can revel in, that you can engage in as a young person or an individual because because you don't have a regard for for things of the Lord. Even as a believer, you can be involved in immorality. Do you know that? You can pursue that as a Christian, but not at this level. Not at this level of, of Christian maturity and confidence in Christ. That is behind you. Those patterns are in the past. You're a sin killer if you're at the point where you're ready to suffer in your body because you're Your confidence is in Jesus Christ. It's in the past. Lust. That is a a hold of the mind. Giving yourself to those things. Feasting. This is, (laughs) we don't talk enough about this, but this is here too. This is kind of overindulgence of food. Let's face it, a lot of Christians are just eating themselves to death. They cannot control it. It's a it's it's just a it's an out of control response, except at this level. Part of being at this level with Christ, this this depth of Christian maturity is that there's self control. There's not overindulgence in any of these things, drunkenness and wild parties. My goodness, isn't that vivid? I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time conjuring up what that means. Just wild parties. It's, it's in the past at this level. The terrible worship of idols. Idols are anything that you worship and serve and pursue that is not Almighty God. Anything. And of course, your former friends are surprised. When you no longer plunge, you, you lose friendships, you lose relationships, you lose that sphere of friends who, who are used to you kind of going along with them and kind of plunging into the fun. That's the idea. But at this level, you see, they're on they're the side. They're watching you now and they're, they're surprised that, that somehow you've made a turn. It's, it's part of your past. It's, it's not part of your future. I want to know if, if, our, if our young people are there. Are Christian young people, are you there? Is that what marks you outside the walls of this place? Are your friends that know you and have known you now going, well, what's up with him? He used to come to these things. He used to get bombed out of his mind. He used to run around with us. What's up with her? What if, are you there? That's what it means to be a sin You're there. That's what marks your life. At this level. And you're following after Christ. There's a clear distinction between what you were and who you are at this level. It's a a determined leaving of all of those things in your past. There's another. It's in the beginning of verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, the end of the world is coming. There's an urgency to this. Therefore, listen, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. These believers at this level who are readying themselves for physical suffering on account of Christ were marked by an earnest and disciplined prayer life. These are the Christians who don't have time for all of these other sins of pettiness and self-indulgence and all of this kind of self-expression that is unedited and kind of un- hindered because they're sacrificed in prayer, not fritting away their days pursuing mindless things, but they're at the altar. They are fervent in prayer. We started a little study with the staff and we looked at what it means to be kind of devoted in this area of ministry saw an individual that was lifted out of obscurity by the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the Colossian believers. I, I, I can't wait to meet some of these individuals, but one of them is his name is Epaphras. Paul lifts him out of obscurity at the end of that great letter to the church at Colossians. He says, Epaphras, you need to know something about Epaphras. Um, he's he's laboring, he's struggling, he's wrestling for you in prayer. That's his epitaph. <laughs> That's it. But it made scripture. He was at this level. No glory, no 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 top billing. His name's not out on the marquee, it's not at the top of the letterhead, but he, he his name is slipped into the canon. By virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And he lifts him out and he says, this is the man. You're where you are because there's a man like Epaphras who's who's got a a prayer life. Like you've never seen before. That's this level. Fourth. Verse 8. Peter says, most important of all, I think this is his shepherding coming out in him. These believers are marked by a deep and remarkable capacity to express the most intimate forms of love for one another. Most important of all, believers continue to show, that's that's an action word, deep love for each other. (laughs) Why? Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's at this level. That is at the height of Christian maturity. Peter says, most important of all, at this level, when you're readying yourselves to suffer physically in your body for the cause of Christ, you need to love each other like this. Deeply, sacrificially, demonstrably. For love covers a multitude of sins. And then he kind of takes it a a step further. Cheerfully, share your home. Open your life. Open your home, the most intimate place of your existence. Not to those who are like you. (laughs) But to those who are most unlike you. Because he's challenging them to open their lives and their homes to those who what? need a meal, those who need a place to stay. That's next level Christian maturity. I mean, listen, it's easy for me, to us to show hospitality to people who are like us, people who dress like we do, who who drive the same cars as we do, who, who understand how to come into a home and, and have a pleasant conversation and not offend anyone, and who take regular baths, and, and, and they know what fork to use for salad, and they know what fork to use for dessert, and they know what spoon to use. They understand. That's, that's a pleasant experience. There's no problem with that. Showing hospitality to people like me is just not a problem, but that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about opening your homes the most intimate, wonderfully resourced place and person of you to people who aren't like you. These are the people who who need a meal. And if they don't get it in your home, they're not going to eat. These are people who need somewhere to sleep. Not people who don't need somewhere to sleep. You know, Aunt Lucy, of course we're going to open our home to Aunt Lucy. Of course we are. She comes every year. She gets the best room in the house. She could very easily stay at the Holiday Inn. She's got the resources, but she comes and stays in our home because it's Aunt Lucy, for crying out loud. But what about that room being opened up and used for a family who doesn't have anywhere to stay? That's the level he's talking about here. That's an expression of this kind of Christian maturity. I wonder if all of us as believers, ourselves included, were really obedient to this level of Christianity, if we would really need a foster care system that is supported by the government because all of our homes would be open to the children of the community who have nowhere to stay. this This is a remarkable expression of faith. And then he goes on to say, these believers are marked by a genuine commitment to use their gifts in service of others rather than themselves. God, he says in verse 10, has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. God is the great gift giver of gifts. You as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are among the most gifted people on the planet. (laughs) And at this level... Your focus is to use all of those wonderful gifts that God has given to you, not for yourselves, not for your own children, not for your own families, but for others. For the proclamation and spread of the gospel. That's the commitment at this level. If you're a speaker, then speak. (laughs) If God has gifted you to help others, then help others. But do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. See that? That's passion. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. I think he just erupts in praise. He's kind of over, overcome with this prospect of seeing people get to this level in their faith. And then he says, finally, don't be surprised. You are going to be marked. This kind of Christianity, this kind of level of faith in Jesus Christ will be marked by periods in your lives of intense struggle and trial because of your faith. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad. Welcome it with praise and joy. Because if you're suffering at this level because of your faith, if you're going through the, the battle of your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are the genuine item. Be glad, not sad. Because you are partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now you ready for this? Verse 14. (laughs) Be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. That's next level Christianity. (laughs) Is your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so out there at such a developed level that people are compelled to insult you because of it? And rather than be offended or raise a picket line or something else, you rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Praise be to God. He says, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Don't come in here and say, I'm suffering. If you're out there causing trouble, (laughs) breaking the law, that's not what we're talking about here not sure why he had to say that but there may have been some people trying to worm their way into the circle there that's not what we're talking about but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian listen, I want to talk to the teenagers here it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian in fact, it's glory If you're living at that level, if you're flying at that level in your faith in Jesus Christ, that it's costing you friends, it's costing you reputation. reputation. In fact, some of your friends who were once with you are now hostile to you. I want you to know on the authority of the word of God, there's no shame in that. In fact, there's glory. I say stay at it. Go for it. Aim higher. Amen? Amen? the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? Let God take care of that. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. That's Peter's word. Trust your lives to the God who created you. He will never fail you. Praise be to him. Now quickly, I want to just touch on a couple of things in chapter 5, and then we'll close. He writes here in this section very pointedly to people like me and others in our congregation who are given the role of overseeing ministry. He talks to elders, overseers in the churches. These are spiritual leaders. This would include fathers, husbands, pastors, deacons, elders, leaders, spiritual leaders, ministry leaders, anyone who has overseen the flock of God. This is for us. This is for you. Peter shares and he says I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world and as a fellow elder he says I make this appeal to you. Take care of God's people. They have been entrusted to you. It is a matter of stewardship. Shepherd flock of God watch over it willingly that's an attitude word do it with a willing heart not grudgingly that's another attitude word not for um, selfish gain not so you'll get something out of it but because you're eager to serve God see the difference because you can't lord it over people assigned to your care don't don't be a big shot don't act big People don't need lords. (laughs) They need shepherds. My children don't need me to be lord of my house. They need me to be a gentle shepherd. Same with the flock of God. That's the exhortation. Lead by your example. Let the life that you lead, live, demonstrate for God's people the pattern of Christ. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Do you know that this is the only place in all of Scripture where there is a promise of, of eternal reward for anyone in spiritual ministry? It's right here. It's the only place, and it's a crown. A crown, unfading crown of glory and honor, but it's deferred. It's later. It's certain, but it's future. That's what he means by older men, elders, those who have matured in their walk with Christ. They're seasoned. They've got these patterns in their lives. They understand the longer view, the higher road. They've shed some blood on behalf of the gospel. Their edges have been worn by the hard work of loving, caring for, and leading by example. But now he turns to younger men. And we need to hear this too. Young men, in the same way, verse 5. And I think this is young both in age and in Christian maturity. This is all he says. Young men, accept the authority of the spiritual leaders above you. Got that? That's it. Young men, learn the joy of living in submission to the people God has placed Over your care. That is great advice. Willingly, humbly serve each other in humility. There are people in your life, maybe it's your father, it's your grandfather, it's a, it's a pastor, it's a group of elders or deacons in the church, it's people who are in authority over your life, and as young men, the word of God, God says in his word that your responsibility is to live submissively to that, accept that authority, don't buck it, don't challenge it, don't act like you're the Lord of your own life and you can kind of live your own way. You can do that out there, but you can't do that in here. Not in the body of Christ. It's against the rules. It's against Christ's rule. And by the way, you don't have to be young in age to kind of be challenged in this area. You might be 40, 50, 60 years old as a a man, as a Christian man, and you still never learn to live in submission to the authority of what God has placed over you in, in the word of God, in, in the shepherds of God, the, the ministry leadership. Oh, you just, you just keep putting yourself out from under that. No, that. that that's Christian immaturity as well. I keep saying to my son, someday you'll thank me. Well, maybe someday we'll thank God for giving us this umbrella, safety and care. All right, we're going to close. We're going to close like Peter closed. I've written this short letter, he says, verse twelve. Short letter, long series. <laughs> I've written this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. Another man like Epaphras, who's lifted out of obscurity right here in this place at the end of this great letter. But what, what he's known for is he's he's a helper. He helped Peter write this letter. That's his only claim to notoriety. And I just want to ask you a question Are you a helper? Are you a Silas? Are you willing, regardless of your gifts and your experience and your time and your wisdom and your talent and your reputation, are you willing, are you willing like Silas, just to come alongside and help? Or are you a herder? You just keep throwing a wrench in the deal. Like Alexander, the coppersmith, Paul talked about at the end of his letter. Whoever he was, he wasn't a Silas, but he was a Christian. But he did more harm for the gospel than he did good. Don't you want to be a Silas? My purpose in writing is to encourage and assure you that you are experiencing what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in it. Stand firm. Your sister church, these believers in Babylon, we've got them all over the world. Paul A.C. is going to continue to lead you to places all around the world to visit your sister churches. What a wondrous thing to be in solidarity with brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, and they greet you. As does my son Mark, he says. Such tenderness here at the end of this letter. And then he says, greet each other with Christian love. Literally with a holy kiss. Kiss each other. <laughs> now that's Christian maturity. Just love each other so much. But you're just overwhelmed. Peace be with you all who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, I think it was intentional the way he ended that letter. Peace for all of you who are in Christ Jesus. terrifying reality is that in a room this size with backgrounds as varied as we have there are individuals surely within the sound of my voice this morning who are not in Christ Jesus you do not have the protection of his grace you are not covered in his blood You have not received the forgiveness of sins. And if that is the case, if you cannot remember a time where you willingly and humbly repented of your self-seeking ways and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ in faith, you need to know that you are in great eternal peril. That apart from your body, in the event of death, you will go into a godless eternity. Without hope. Apart from God. And it will be eternal condemnation and torment. And it will be fire. And it will be flames forever. In a place called hell. That's what God says. If you are not in Christ. You need to be in Christ. If you want peace, and the only way to be in Christ is to believe Him and receive His mercy and grace by faith. But if you are in Christ and you want to go to this level of maturity, Christian maturity that Peter describes in this great letter, you need to know that you will also face flames. You will also face fire. You will also face hardship. But it will not be for your condemnation. It will be for your glory. It will be to refine you and make you ready to bring glory to his name. So the Decision you need to make today is to choose your fire. Choose your flame. Because with either decision, fire is your future. God be gracious to you as you decide how to spend the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father God, be relentless in your pursuit of anyone here today who does not know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. O God, open their hearts, remove the scales of blindness and pride and arrogance that has so long kept them from experiencing the peace and grace that can be theirs in you. And call all of us, O God, to a deeper, wider, greater following after Christ. On this day, for the praise and glory of your name, amen.